start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, I'm gonna it. It's him. You can look at the horns when he's dead. I'm, I'm in, you know, in the zone. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh, when they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. You're listening to the White Cat Outdoors podcast, bringing you to the table where we talk about the outdoors. I thought that was my beer. So there's no tomfoolery during the podcast. (laughs) There's always got to be tomfoolery during the podcast. What's going on, guys? Uh, Tom's just having fun playing with some bottle caps before we get started, just so there's no tomfoolery. I don't know if you just heard that, but um, so yeah, we're uh, we're all hanging out. Me, Nick, and Tom. We're recording. What is it? Coming at you live. Coming at you live right now. But when you're hearing it, it's not live anymore. You can pretend it's live. Yeah, you can pretend. It's kind of like all those virtual concerts they've been doing this past year. Yeah. It's kind of live. Yeah, you're kind of live. Kind of at the concert. Kind of I can't stand that. Like, Oh, yeah. And people pay like normal concert prices for that sort yeah. of stuff. Well, like, speaking of, this is actually a, a, a pretty funny... St- well, not really. It's not that funny. Not um, funny at all. But <laughs> um, it's actually but, very sad and tragic. No, it's not. Uh, I don't know what story... Uh, so <laughs> the other night, um, our good buddy, uh, Flack, you know, he had a birthday this past week. So happy birthday to you. Um, but we were at the bar having a celebratory beer. And this young lady comes up to me and is selling gun raffle tickets. And I was like, hell yeah, bring them over. I'm in. You know, I love gun raffles. And Ben's like, I've actually never been to a gun raffle. And I was like, buddy, they're a blast. Like you pay, oh, yeah. you know, sometimes 10, sometimes 20 bucks. It's usually like 10 bucks. Yeah. But like, I mean, on the high end, $20, like yeah. the one that they do at Rainbow Gardens is like 20, but there's yeah. way more guns. Um, anyways, you go drink a bunch of beer, eat a bunch of food. Free beer. Yeah. After you pay the $10. Yeah. And, uh. It's a blast. So she comes over, starts off with, it's 50 bucks for one ticket. Jeebus. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa. How many guns are they giving away? There was like 50 some guns and a lot of cash prizes, like big cash prizes, like $2,500, like every 10 guns. So it was like, it was a big ticket. But the problem was it was a Facebook live gun raffle. For $50. Yeah. And I told her, I'm like, so I don't like, I don't even get to go drink yeah, beer and, and I, eat food and i i didn't buy one i was so upset i was like that literally i was just telling you about how much fun gun yeah. raffles are to go to and now you're telling me that well I, the majority of gun raffle like the money that they make at gun raffles isn't from the ticket that gets you in the it's door the, all the floor guns it's the and floor guns, guns and, and exactly so they're re- they're really missing out like you can't do that stuff on yeah. facebook live like oh just then most yeah i would like <laughs> i like i said i didn't buy a ticket because it just wasn't the same i don't blame you yeah, I wouldn't have bought one either. Yeah. yeah, wild stuff. So, if you're thinking about having a gun raffle, make sure it's in person. Yeah, me and Nick and Tom will come. I would. I would love gun raffles. They're a great time. So, <clears throat> that was just a little side story. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what are we talking about today? Tonight we are going to go over a little bit of you know pointers, tips, you know, tines for the new hunter. Yeah, for the new yeah the new this one this video is for kids. <laughs> If anybody understands that reference, shoot us a message. That would be great. Um, no one's going to get probably that. Probably not. <clears throat> Wild man out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so we've been hunting quite a while. We've you know, had we've learned a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And <laughs> I'll just keep this going all night. Yeah, all night. Uh, anyways, so we're going to just cover you know some things we've picked up along the road you know, that will hopefully expedite your learning curve when it comes to getting out in the woods, whether you've been hunting 10 years, 20 years, one one year, year, you know, there's probably something we've picked up that you haven't and vice versa. There's probably things, you know, that we don't know. Um, so, you know, after listening to this, if you're like, Hey, you know, that was really cool, but this is how I do something, or this is what I've noticed. Let us know and help us learn too. Mm -hmm. So Tom, before we got started with this podcast, Tom, well, before you even before, before pointed over to me, why don't you tell our listeners where this episode came from? Oh, yes. This is from our good buddy, ToastyBeard99. So he, so I reached out to some of our top listeners. Um, so 
basically in the next few weeks, deer season is going to start. And then deer camp series fires back up where we just do kill episode after kill episode after kill episode for a couple months. Yeah. Um, and it's great because every week we talk about a current kill that we, we had or a close buddy of ours, you know, top listener, any of those. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. But I reached out to some of our top listeners and asked them like, hey, you know, season's approaching. Schedule's going to be booked pretty soon with episodes. What kind of stuff you guys want to hear? You know, if you, just what is it? Yeah. And, you know, Ben was like, hey, you know, I, you know, haven't been archery hunting very long and wanted to just hear some tips and tricks that you guys might have and thought that it would be good for other new hunters or in any hunter in general mm-hmm. um, can just kind of share ideas. So thanks again for that tip um, or for that idea. And, you know, the next coming weeks we're going to have um, hopefully a lot more listener suggested episodes leading into our hunting season. So let's do it <clears throat> back. Yeah. Back to Tom. Cause Tom was telling me before we hit record that he's got a ton of tips and tricks that he's ready to tell the public. He's been keeping them silent stuff. He hasn't even told me or Frank yet. So without further ado, we'll have Tom jump on the mic and just spill his knowledge. So my first tip and trick is it a tip or a trick? It's a tip. Okay. Is just the tip. Yeah, just 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 the tip. Um, comes from a prior experience. Uh, tip that I wish I would have known last year, and actually I did know last year, but I'm really gonna send it home. Did this you year. learn it last year? No, I always knew it, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this ain't that important. <laughs> and I really, really wish I would have been following this trick. And I'm I'm going to from here on out because it really bit me in the ass this past year. When it comes to bow season, always make sure your bow is either in your hand or in a point where or at a point where it can easily be in your hand ready to shoot. With minimal movement. With minimal movement. Last year I'm sitting in my deer stand. I think I've told this story before, but I thought it fit in pretty well for tonight. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking Oh man, it leaves are crunchy, cool, frosty morning. I'm going to be able to hear deer coming in from a mile away. So I'm in my tree stand, sitting down, bow sitting across my lap, like totally not ready to draw it back or anything. And I'm just up there comfortable, which that's going to bring me to another tip here in a minute. So I'm just sitting there all comfortable, like, and enjoying the sunrise and all of a sudden i hear crunch crunch i look over and there's this shooter buck like 15 yards in front of me i have no idea how we got there without me hearing him probably his hooves but he was just there and there i am like a silly goose with my bow sitting across my lap and this buck comes walks 15 yards broadside right from me and he never, he didn't know I was there, um, but his gaze was in my general direction. You just where, the buck gay? Gaze. <laughs> oh. <laughs> where I know, had I moved, he would have caught me out of his peripherals and Done. been gone. So there I am just watching this. And this is a nice buck. This is probably 125 inch, 130 inch 10, who actually unfortunately got hit by a truck on opening day of gun season. You hate to see it. Yeah, so he's just there. I'm watching him bow across my lap, feeling like a doofus as this <laughs> buck walks within bow range out of my life. So, like I said, had I been holding my bow in my hand vertically, I would have had a shot opportunity at this deer. But I know it just—it was going to be way too much movement to bring my bow from horizontal all the way to vertical. And draw. Draw back. Um, stand up, too. In like, I like to call it gray light, which mm-hmm. is like very first light in the morning where I think it's your best opportunity at catching a big mature buck on his feet going you know, to his bedding area. Uh, it, it's totally worth it to be standing you know, from when if you can you shoot. If you prefer to stand when you shoot. Yeah. That's a... I guess the better way to put that is be in your preferred shooting position because I'm a sitter when I shoot. So I, I stay sitting for me. It's just, I don't know. It's because it, if you're a sitting shooter, um, I'm a righty. So it's easier for me to shoot off to my left side. I 
can't shoot from the sitting sit, seating position to my right side. I don't know if there's a trick to that, but I can't. No, there's not. Um, yeah, that's just an uncomfortable position. Yeah, I just I feel like there's I move less when sitting down. Oh, you um, definitely do. But actually, another trick that I like to do is set up so you can't even shoot to putting, your yeah putting that's what i try to do is like there's got to be some barrier to my right whether it's thick brush where i can't shoot into uh or so your only shot tree. opportunity is to your Left. most comfortable shooting side or straight in front of you yeah mm-hmm. which straight but in I mean, front like, is easy for me to do prime sitting. time my bow's in my hand um vertical between my legs the entire time like during prime hunting times and then you know when it starts to get slow it goes on a hook but keeps it vertical um just to my left one of those hooks that's like a an arm that screws out into the yeah. tree and it comes out and there's like a swivel handle where you can yep. hook it so it's literally in right front of you in front of you versus tight up against the tree yeah, that really money. helps too but yeah so during those crucial i mean if if all possible always be in your optimal yeah hunting position but when Sometimes you're you got to pick yeah when you're hunting you know a four hour sit it's pretty challenging to stay in the same position for mm-hmm. four hours but yeah like i said don't keep your bow across your lap that's just that's not good policy foolish. <laughs> yeah really but well, it's one of those things year. where you aren't you're like you don't agree with it until it happens or yeah. you don't think it's important. I guess maybe you don't think it's that important until you it happens. You think my bow's right here. I can get it up no problem. Until there's a deer staring at you and you're like, how the hell am I about to move that much? Like it was literally on your lap. Like you think I've got my bow close. Yeah. That's, it needs to be like almost ready to shoot basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm, my thought process was I'm going to hear this deer coming from a mile away. I have plenty of time to get ready before he's even close. You heard him from 10 yards away. It's close. Yeah. That was not plenty of time. <laughs> I think what happened is I was hunting a creek bottom, and he must have snuck down, down the, the creek. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so unfortunately, missed opportunity at that buck. Had I been holding my bow and standing, and it, it was during gray light, too. It was, you know, first 30 minutes of light. Just a bonehead move. Yep. Yeah. That kind of learn. plays into, like, my one thing that I was going to say. We kind of, like, hinted at it, talked a little bit about it. Um Every time I get in my stand, like if it's, whether it be like a ladder stand or a mobile setup, as soon as I get in, I literally play through every shot opportunity that I think I can have. Mm -hmm. And I draw my bow at every one of those opportunities, sitting and standing. As soon as I set up, that's what I do every time I get in my stand. I draw my bow at every location that, Mm -hmm. you know, like all my shooting lanes, I draw my bow. I do that in new sets. Yeah. Yeah, if, it, if it's like a set that... Yeah, if it's hit, something that I've hunted 15 yeah. times, I'm not going to do it because I already know. But, but I do play the rangefinder game every yeah. time. I Every stand, doesn't matter, unless my uncle had some stands back in the day where he would just spray paint yardages on trees. Um, <laughs> That's nice. What, but since, it's been years since I've been able to hunt mm-hmm. those sorts of stands. Um, but now, like as soon as I get my stand, and I don't go to the extent of drawing my bow back, but I range out every potential opportunity mm-hmm. several times. Yeah. Just, the biggest reason why I like to draw my bow is just because sometimes you're in such like there's tree limbs in certain spots yeah. or like your stand. If you're in a ladder stand, if you have to like reach over this side of your stand, I always like to make sure, okay, my limbs not going to hit this tree limb. My strings not going to hit here. Like I'm totally clear and I, you know, do a little range of motion out in front of myself just so I know, yeah. okay, this is a safe place for me to draw and shoot my bow. I'm good to go. Well, you just, you never know. I mean, you and I both have had, you know, sub 10 yard shots before where yeah. typically when you're setting up your stand and stuff, you think, you know, it's going to be out there 20 yards or whatever. And then the thing shows up underneath you or basically yeah. like your margin of error is a lot smaller that close yeah. because you're shooting down. Mm-hmm. Um, but things get really tight, whether it's your seat, um, the railing on a ladder, yeah. or if you're in your climber, like things get really tight when you start getting, you know, inside 10 yards. Yeah. So it's smart to... Yeah, that's why I like to draw, just so I know if I aim my bow straight down, what am I going to hit with yeah. it if I have... Not that I recommend shooting straight down, but just, it's, it's just... If that's the shot, it's a good practice. 
Yeah. yeah. It's just a good practice to make sure that everywhere you might have to put your bow for a shot is a clear shot, not just in front of you, but right where your bow is. Because I've talked to people that have, you know, in different situations, a guy that we know just was it last year, two years ago, was elk hunting and drew his bow on a bull. And when he shot, his limb of his bow hit something, blew his bow apart, string came off, cables came off, obviously missed the elk because his bow blew apart. But it was because he wasn't 100% aware of everything that could be around his bow in that shot. That's just another challenge that comes with archery hunting that you won't ever see in a rifle hunt. Yeah. Just because, like, it's not just pulling a trigger. It's, you know, your bow, especially, like, your compound bows, the limbs flex so much. Yeah. Where, you know, at full draw, it might fit somewhere, but once it's let go, it doesn't fit. Yeah. So and your it, bow or your arrow is still on that string while those limbs are expanding. Yeah. And if you hit something, you're, you're done. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a big, big thing that I have always done is no, that's I good. set up my stand so that I know where my, the majority of my shots are going to be. My bow is very easily accessible to basically just draw on that spot and, draw on all of the spots so i know i'm safe that's i mean the one buck i got a few years back um i got i shot sitting down but i actually had one of those swivel hook yeah um, which i've gone through several of those over the years because i'm horrible about pulling my bow hook out um (laughs) and i think it's just because part of my process is like lowering my bow down Mm -hmm. and then i forget that it was once hanging on something (laughs) Um, but anyway I had a buck that came in, you know, it actually showed up at just the right angle for me to where I literally leaned over and all I had to do was grab a hold of the bow and move it like two inches over. So it wasn't on the hook. Mm -hmm. It was all I had. It was like almost no movement. My body was like hidden behind the bow. was able to draw back like straight across my chest Mm -hmm. and let it go. And it worked out perfect. Yeah. I think that's definitely something that people overlook when they're setting up a stand. They look at their shot opportunities farther away, but they don't look right on them right on the tree that they're in yeah is, basically you're what you're cut what you're using is cover yeah and if it's gonna interfere with your shot yeah exactly because so. cover is obviously very important you like to have as much as possible but don't want it impeding your shot and that actually goes to when you're hanging permanent sets mm-hmm. um as well because i remember frank you were actually there when we hung uh a it was a lock on in this big hemlock uh over we planted a small food plot right on the edge of this beaver swamp and there was one big hemlock and we had the stand tucked up there just perfect. Like you were invisible. And so I go up there and we're going to cut a few shooting lanes and I didn't have my bow, but something I like to do is pretend to draw back my bow and see if there's anything that might get in the way. Mm -hmm. And as I'm pretending to do that, there's this one branch that I thought was going to be perfect cover that you can't draw your bow back because your elbow is going to be hitting on this branch no matter how you slice it. Yeah. So we had to end up cutting this branch down. So there is a way to slice it to make it work. Yeah, but it was it was wide open. You yeah, were sitting, on a, oh, I, sitting I was, on a telephone pole. I was pole. there. Yeah. After, yeah. That one branch, it was like, ah, oh, shit. That stand's ruined. <laughs> yeah, but Frank actually ended up killing a buck out of that I stand did. later that year. And then we took it down the year, like uh, the next year or the year after. It was like two years after that because yeah. the pine tree grew at like a forty-five degree angle. It wasn't <laughs> quite that bad, but it was it was not ninety it was either degrees. A, it was either you're gonna fall out of it if you put it on one side of the tree, or you're gonna be like lazy boy reclining and you can't stand up hardly. Yeah. yeah, it was a pain. It was a very uncomfortable stand. Very good spot. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, you definitely you couldn't move. You couldn't give the deer a reason I, well, I to look my up. Buck out of the, where we moved it. Yeah, the next year or that year. But yeah, you definitely if you gave the deer a reason to look up in the tree, they were definitely going to pick you out. But as yeah. long as you didn't give them a reason to look up, you were good. Yeah. So, so this is just I guess a smaller tip. We don't have to go into it real deep, um, but it just plays into this effect, um, especially for guys that like to hang and hunt several times like that mobile style is keep a knife or, a, or I guess a small saw yeah, in your always uh, big time because you obviously if you're hanging a stand for the first time mid season, you don't have the time to practice that before it's hung, yeah. you know? So once you get up there, if there is a limb in the way, you need you a way to, to get rid to, of yeah. it. Um, I don't recommend uh, if, if, if you guys have ever seen those arrow saws, those things suck. 
you can like it's like we can say that because we're not sponsored yeah (laughs) basically like you would take your broadhead off and it screws into your arrow and it's a little saw stupidest thing yeah it it, sounds like like a great way to break an arrow yeah did you have one no i just saw the commercial it's like one of those like (laughs) fake tree things it was just i saw it and knew that i would never need to spend my money on it yeah Um, i just for you can get a um a hooey man or a wicked tree gear saw gerber makes you know, ones yeah. that cost a couple bucks. I actually have a story about I told I think I told you this yeah. a couple weeks we'll ago. Have to, yeah, you'll have to bring that up now that we're on the topic of saws. Yeah. So but, I had I always carried this Gerber saw. It was just like one of those retractable ones that had a little screw on it. And I used it all the time in archery. Every time I did a mobile setup, I always had it. And, you know, if I needed to lop a limb off, I was ready to go. And I had it up in Alaska and me and a client were out doing something and he's like, Hey, you mind if I use your saw? I was like, yeah, sure. Here you go. And he's cutting through this limb and the blade's kind of thin. It's not for like major cutting. It's just for small stuff. Just like little pruning, like yeah. pruning. And I can't remember what he was cutting with it, but I was like, yeah, whatever, do, do whatever you want. So he's cutting and cutting. He was a really, really nice guy. And he like goes to, he comes down and the blade binds and he like pushes it back up and just snaps the blade in half. And he he felt so bad. He's like, Whitey, I'm I'm really really sorry. I was like, Hey, don't worry about it. Even like my grandfather gave me that. <laughs> yeah, just really make him feel bad. But I was like, No, don't don't worry about it. It was a cheap saw. I I can get another one. Don't worry about it. And he brought it up like five times the rest of the hunt. Like he felt terrible about this saw. I'm like, Dude, it's okay. Like I don't care. It's not a big deal. And so the I end of the just hunt comes. To ask him to saw limbs like yeah. throughout the. Like, hey, did you, you get that cut? For, oh, you know what? We don't have one. Yeah, should have just been a real dick about it. <laughs> but at the end of the hunt, like usually guides and uh, clients always like exchange phone numbers and addresses for like mailing pictures and whatnot, just yeah. to stay in touch and whatnot. That's how we got Jeb on. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I give him address and phone number and stuff, and a couple weeks after I get home. I get six of those saws in the mail from him. He's like, I'm. Re-, he sent me a note saying how sorry he was. I was like, I texted him immediately. I was like, you really didn't have to do that. He's like, I just felt bad. He's like, give them to a couple people. Keep some for yourself. I was like, I really, really appreciate it, but you didn't have to. It was just a really funny story about that one crappy little saw that I could have bought for 10 bucks. Oh, yeah. I think like the Wicked Trigger ones are like $14. Yeah. They're, they're really nice. Mm-hmm. But they are a great tool to have, especially like you said, for mobile setups. Always have a I saw. I even keep a little pruning shears in my pack too, yeah. which that just, if they're, you know, about the size of your finger, if that's all you got to cut, it yeah. works way faster than a saw. Yeah. So, yeah. If I have small stuff like that, I'll just like pop my Leatherman out of my pocket and every good high woman has one. That's, that's what they say. That is what they say. Um, while we're go ahead, Tom. I was just gonna say while we're talking about good things to keep in your bag, I was gonna say I have a bow rope with a carabiner tied to it. Those it's are always, handy. Always very handy because me and Nick we went through this phase where we're like, you know what, we don't want anyone else hunting our stands. We're gonna make them the biggest bitch to get into. Yeah, and you definitely did. I yeah, used we to succeeded about it a lot. Yeah, so we had these stands that you'd play hell to get into and believe it or not nobody else wanted to hunt them because yeah it sucked to get in and out of them i would hunt them but i would yeah. complain the whole time like some of you literally we'd run the climbing like the pegs right up underneath the platform so then you'd have to like find squirrel a around the tree yeah. and then climb in but yeah you it this was, was pre-harness days they didn't make harnesses back then <laughs> it was damn near impossible to climb one of these tree stands while having a bow in your hand. It could be done. You just had to hang it a couple well, hooks I used, up. I as used you to just climbing. put my bow like up onto my shoulder, like through uh like the riser to safest the sh- way possible. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean I seriously that's I mean Yeah. I I'm not afraid to admit I literally would just slide my arm through the riser to like between the cables and then climb up that way. <laughs> but yeah, much easier if you just you keep a bow rope tied to a carabiner. What I like to do is when I'm standing on the ground before I climb up, I tie my string to the cam of the bow, and then I clip the carabiner to my belt loop, climb up my tree stand. When I get there, my bow rope's still attached to me. Just I do the same thing. Pull the buddy. bow right up. That's exactly how I do it now. Mm-hmm. Much much better than trying to <laughs> climb the tree stand with a bow. In your, and I did that for 
Gee, it's I don't one know, thing probably to do on six, a, seven like years. A, like, I know it's never recommended, but like yeah. ladder stands, it, like I never thought twice about it. No, I, yeah, I you can, still do. You with, can climb a ladder yeah. with no hands. Oh, yeah. I Well, that's what I'm saying. But then like you get into like climbing steps or like tree pegs are the worst because yeah. you're like straddling the tree to get up the stand. Yeah. And yeah, we did it's it for years. It's just not safe. <laughs> yeah, we did it for years that way. And then... I can spend 99 cents on a rope and $2 on a carabiner and make this a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Who would have Worth thought? it. Worth the three bucks. And wow. then you don't have to tie a bow rope to the bottom of every one of your tree stands. Yeah. You just keep it in your hunting bag. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because some of our older sets have bow ropes up at camp. Yeah, right. but then the squirrels get to them and they chew it. and Yeah. Then you're pulling your bow up and it snaps. <laughs> yeah. You drop I've your bow. I've never had that happen. Knock on wood. I swear to God, one time, it was a couple of years ago. I don't. I have no idea how it happened because I had the carabiner on my bow. I hooked it to the camera. Well, that's risky business. I How? I, I don't like it. I, I trust my knot more than a carabiner. I don't use a carabiner. I use a knot on my belt loop and a knot on my bow. I like tie the knot to my belt loop at the beginning of the season and it doesn't come off. I just stuff it yeah. into a side pouch. Yeah, I do the, the same thing. And then I have the carabiner for my bow. Ugh. And pulling up, it was my previous bow, my old Martin. And I was pulling it up and it got like halfway up and I had it hooked all the way through. The clasp closed and bow was coming up normal. Don't know how it happened. Bow came off halfway up. I was like, what? panic set in i was like well oh, my hunt's done like my this was up in climber wasn't yeah it, it was because i texted you and i told yeah. you i remember we shot the hay bales afterwards to make sure she was still on yeah i like freaked out i was like how the hell did this just happen and so i climbed down i like look at the carabiner i'm like okay it's fine hook my bow again i honestly like i was gonna sit out the hunt i was not gonna shoot anything like i was yeah i i know what you're saying bringing it up again comes off again what is don't know i've been using the same carabiner before and after that hasn't oh I, that carabiner wouldn't have had a second chance well, it goes on my belt now oh, oh. yeah i always I go carabiner to belt yeah i switched it i didn't um, see i didn't even know the outcome of the story and i still said how much i trust my knot more than a carabiner yeah so i i put the knot on the bow now and yeah i don't know how it happened but it happened twice it's never happened before or after well obviously not after but before that i did it for years Never came off with the same carabiner twice in five seconds. And, yeah, so I don't put the carabiner on the bow anymore. That sucks. Yeah, it was wild. Carabiner on the belt loop. Side note, was your bow, like, did you? Bow was fine. Like, you still sighted in and everything? Okay. Didn't have to adjust it at all. Uh, Before Tom really interrupted me, I had this tip that I wanted to talk about. Uh we were talking about like mobile hunting and everything and yeah. something I I've explained to Tom that he's going to do this year. Cause Tom just started hunting with like climbing sticks uh, last year. Mm-hmm. He's been mobile hunting with his climber for years, but finally saw the um, advantages of climbing sticks and a uh, hang on. And uh, before Tom was, he would hang two sticks from the ground and then he would carry a stick up, hang that one, climb back down, Hang, grab a stick, climb back up, hang it, come down, get the stand, go and hang it. I told him, I said, that's taken way too long. Like, this is what you got to do. And this is where the tip comes in. So if you're going to use climbing sticks to hang your stand, what you want to do is get some paracord and just put little loops off the back of your harness that you're Mm -hmm. using, like your lineman's rope for. And you hang your Versa button on your sticks through those. So basically you hang your first two sticks from the ground which depending on how tall you are, I only hang the first one because I'm short. Um, but you hang your whatever sticks you can from the ground. You put the rest of them just on like a paracord loop and then you climb up and you can just reach back and grab them. So what I do is I hook my bow at the ground, like the rope, like we just talked about. Yeah. I hang two st- or three sticks off my belt and then my stand is on my backpack, like as, as like a backpack. Mm-hmm. So I, from the time my first foot comes off the ground, I don't have to come back down until the hunt is over. Yeah, I do the same thing. So, I never, like, as soon I, I, I can usually hang two sticks depending on how I'm going up the tree. Sometimes I only hang one, but I do the same thing. I and I leave mine just right on my stand, and mm-hmm. then I just reach back, pull one off, hang it, and I yeah. keep my uh, all my straps in like a fanny pack in mm-hmm. front of me. So I throw the stick up, pull a strap out of the fanny pack, 
tie it on, go up another step, pull the next one off. Yeah. And then when I get to the it top, pull the stand it, off my back. and Yeah, it makes it almost as fast as hanging a climber. Oh, yeah. Like a, cli- a climber is definitely faster, but I've it's not much faster anymore with Yeah, when you get good it at way. it and practice it, and so, you know like which trees you can really fly up. and Yeah, so with the extra paracord, when you make your boat rope, put a few loops off your lineman's belt, hang your sticks off the back, mm-hmm. and you'll thank yourself because, one, it's way less noise climbing up and down the tree, way yeah. less time. Um, it's just all around better. Yeah, so, I agree. It's a good little tip. Another tip I wanted to say. <laughs> Your was face nice, was hilarious. A dramatic pause. Tom was like, it's kind of like playing that game of like, you say numbers in, con- in consecutive order, but if you if two people say the same number, they have to start over. I have that's no what, idea what game you're talking about. We'll play about. it after the podcast. It's wild. I don't know how well it'll be with three people, but. That's what I felt Tom was doing right there. He didn't yeah. want to. Stone face see- staring. Next tip. So comfort is key in my book. Because I know earlier I said, you know, your I think your best chance is obviously first light, last light. But for me, and I never even knew this because prior comfort for me was not king. Um, I think the second best opportunity is like that mid-morning from like 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Because I know, and you listen to all kinds of deer hunter podcast and they'll 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 preach it in one ear out the other left and right like it's going out of business uh deer can't stay in a bed all afternoon long Mm -hmm. they have to get up at some point even if it's just to walk 75 yards 75 yards they're gonna get up and move and i've found that a lot of the time you'll catch a lot of movement between the hours of like 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock that mid-morning, deer have been in their bed since first light. It's been four hours, five hours. They're ready to get up and move again. Mm-hmm. So normally, or I shouldn't say normally, prior to me really considering comfort, I would go out into the woods. I'd have you know, a pair of jeans and then my camo, and then I'd have a T-shirt, a coat, probably my steel toe boots. and <laughs> I rocked steel toes for years. Dealing. Yeah, and by... <laughs> 8.30, you're freaking numb, and you're packing up and going home yeah. because you're not having fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And I I missed a lot of movement because I was uncomfortable, ready to get out of the woods. And now I, I spent the money. I got a pair of uh, Under Armour. I don't even know what they're called, but just Under Armour. Base layers. Base layers. Um, you're, you run synthetic base layers, which that's, I guess, an, an argument in itself. We could do a... We're not doing a podcast on no, you, base you layer, ver, uh, no, synthetic it, versus natural. No, no we don't have to do a whole podcast. We're not I'm even going to do an argument on it. <laughs> Just benefits, drop it right there. Benefits to both. I like merino that's, and synthetic. I like to do both. That's great. It's not worth my time to argue it. <laughs> I'm by base layer, if you know what I'm saying. Perfect. But anyway, so I have my Under Armour base layer. I wear two pairs of socks. I used to be like that guy that's like, oh, you use hand warmers? Yeah, I'm too tough for those. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, hand warmers, foot warmers, yeah, they're the way to the go. I slap those babies on and put a couple hand warmers in your pocket, keep your hands warm all morning. I even sometimes I'll throw, if I'm hunting a stand that, you know, the seat's not real comfortable, I have a cushion that I carry in my backpack. I'll some geese flying in. Yeah, that's wild. This is an outdoors podcast. <laughs> yeah, that is not a special effect. That is real. Well, I'll, I'll throw a cushion in my tree or in my book bag in case you know. After a while, my seat gets uncomfortable. Slow, throw that baby down. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, if you're comfortable, you hunt a lot longer. Your hunts are a lot more enjoyable, and you see a lot more because obviously, the more time you spend in the woods, yeah. The, more opportunities you're going to have. And I think a a little side bit to that is if you're comfortable, you're not moving as much because when you're uncomfortable, you're constantly shifting your body and trying to get comfortable. So it just plays into like, if you're comfortable, you're not going to move around as much, which means you'll potentially see more because you're not fidgeting all night. And another thing, um, very important. If your feet are warm, your hands are warm and your head and neck are warm 
you'll be fine. So it's it's definitely worth it. I spent some money, got a good hat. I always wear one of those. Uh, I don't know what they're the who rags is that what they're called? Gator, neck, a neck, neck gator. gator. Yeah, I always use a neck gator. My, my dad always calls it a toque. A toque. Yeah. Why? Stringer calls it a dicky. I don't know. Apparently what they're called i'm sure there's 400 different correct names for it yeah you get yourself a nice warm hat a good toque or a scarf even. a good scarf even a good pair of socks i like uh, turtlenecks too turtlenecks are... i don't have i need to step up my turtleneck game you should i always rock turtlenecks. but if you like if, if you keep your head and neck your hands and feet warm you'll be a lot more comfortable doing those long morning sits or even once the rut kicks in i like to do all day sits and I've hunted some days where it never gets above 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to do that in a pair of jeans and steel toe. <laughs> you're going to freeze up there. Yeah. And, but it's. Yeah. It, Don't be too tough. You, you dress warm and look like a bitch if you have to. Yeah. But. It's definitely worth it. Tom looks like the uh, Christmas story kid up in his tree stand now. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> I'm going to back trail just a little bit. Another good tip um, is you don't have to wear all of this stuff into the tree stand. Like when I'm walking, yeah. if I know I have a long walk, uh, my coat's unzipped. Uh, you know, I sometimes I won't even put my wool socks on until I get into mm-hmm. my tree stand because if you're, you know, you got a four or five hundred yard walk to your tree stand and you're all bundled up, it doesn't matter if it's ten degrees. You're gonna break a sweat when you're walking into mm-hmm. the woods, if you, especially if you're trudging through a foot of snow, two feet of snow. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen is you're going to be sweating. You're going to get up into your stand, sitting still. That sweat's going to freeze. Ten and minutes you're going to be a block of ice. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do is I'll keep my coat unzipped. Sometimes, I'll, like I said, I'll put my wool socks in my book bag. I'll walk in super slow, careful not to break a sweat. Once I get adjusted into my tree stand everything's comfortable slip the boots off put the wool socks on they're nice and dry my feet are dry have you dropped a boot out of your stand yet no i've done that one time i dropped a glove one time my grandpa made me wait till dark to get it i would be climbing down to get my glove i was an adult so i was allowed to do whatever i wanted i went down and got my boot i was like nine (laughs) grandpa's like we'll get it at dark yeah. Mind you, this was opening day of gun season. We're doing an all-day sit. Yeah. Yeah. This was yeah. This is early morning, still dark, and dropped my glove. My car was like, "We'll get it at dark." Okay. We'll get this at sundown after we've had our beverage. So one thing I do that I do the same thing as Tom does, but what I do once I'm in my stand is I don't start zipping up my layers until, until I'm cold. Yeah. Yeah. Until I like do so the basically same thing. like once I start to get cold, I zip my first layer up. Mm-hmm. If I start to get cold again, I zip the next layer up and I just keep doing that to, cause like, I'm afraid like once your heart rate's up and you've been working, if I zip everything up right away, as soon as I get my stand, still then you, well then you sweat. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing. Like, if there's any people that wrestled out there when you're cutting weight, uh, or just trying to lose weight or anything after your workout, um, when you're dressed in all those layers, you're supposed to sit there for 20 minutes mm-hmm. in all of those layers because that's when the sweat really starts to rip out. Yeah. So you don't want to just, as soon as you get in your stand, zip everything back up. You wait mm-hmm. until you're cold and slowly Dress, put your layers yeah. back on. I did that out in Nebraska a few years ago. Sam like, was completely bundled up, and we had a long walk in. It was probably a mile and a half to get where we were going and we were hunting a really big block and we had a very long walk to get to where we were going and i'm one of those public land guys yeah (laughs) but uh all i had was that thin camo long sleeve shirt that i have and a t-shirt underneath it and sam's like oh man you're gonna get cold i'm like we got a long ass walk dude like and there's a lot of hills and stuff so i was like we got a long walk like it's gonna get hot and it was pretty cold that morning but still like i was sweating in yeah. Nothing. And we got to where we were going and I actually took off my outer layer cause I was sweating and just let the sweat dry off of myself and sat there. And like you said, until I get cold, then I throw my light one layer on, then I get cold again, throw the next layer on. Cause you definitely want to make sure that you are dry oh, before that's, you key. really, and cooled down before you really bundle up because yeah. you will get warm again after you throw that layer on. Oh yeah. But like that's the way wet, those layering systems work Yeah, is it, it's quality gear whether it doesn't have to be camo just quality gear that's bent for layering 
is designed to retain body heat. Yeah. And as long as your body is staying at, you know, 98.6, it's going to be warm. Yeah. You'll be warm. So trust the process. And that's another thing you just, you like just quickly said it. You don't have to buy camo. Yeah. You can buy any color clothing you want. Like in rifle season, you're wearing bright orange. You don't have to wear camo. I killed plenty of deer wearing bright orange. Yeah. I wear, I killed plenty of deer wearing a visor with blonde hair flapping above it. Yeah. We all Mine, mine's sitting right there. Yeah. So the biggest thing is if you don't give the deer a reason to look up at you, they're not mm-hmm. going to look up at you. Yeah. If they're not looking at color. you, they're not going to see you. Yeah. I don't, I don't think camo hurts you by any means. Whatsoever. No, no, no. It doesn't it hurt you. doesn't hurt you. Um, but uh, what yeah. I was getting at, you can yeah. save a lot of money by buying gray or black or brown. Green, yeah. Yeah, or green, just those earth tone colors. You don't yeah. have to buy the most expensive camo. Well, and I typically, like my standard, like most of the time when I'm hunting, I'm usually wearing, uh, it's like earth tone pants yeah. and a shirt, and then it's usually a camo vest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because it like I need it to be camo, it's just it happened to be what yeah. works for me. But like I just... I don't. I don't wear camo all that often. I almost never wear. I wear. I have it brown um, and black. Yeah, I, it all depends on how I need to layer. Like I have my rifle yeah. hunting. I have this. Uh, I got it off of eBay for like next to nothing, but it's like this huge jumpsuit, um, and it's uh, a thinsulate. Like oh, it's yeah. really That's good super warm, but it's reversible. It's tree bark camo on one side or straight blaze orange on the other side that's hot so during rifle during rifle season you're not missing me yeah. <laughs> that's a whole lot of orange yeah and i've like CeeLo or, green up there oh yeah um and, and i've killed out of that with wearing that um and my bright orange fedora so gotta have the fedora we ought to talk about that stuff sometime i think we have have we like long time like first couple episodes i'm starting like we're, i'm getting to the point where i'm starting to forget what we've talked about like that's you've how forgotten about stuff like you try to bring something I'm like we talked about that like two weeks ago you're like did we that could be yeah beers were flowing sometimes they do they've been flowing good tonight boys they have they have this yingling flight's been pretty good actually i'm drinking it all day ipa can you drink it all day Oh, easily. Yeah, I easily. couldn't drink an IPA all day. No, I, I never in my life. Barely even drink one. Yeah, I, see if this one you could drink all day. Just take one. Probably sip. tastes like. Shit. Let's get a live live taste test from Tom. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I was waiting mm-hmm. for him to go. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, that is, that tastes like shit. <laughs> it's all bad. <laughs> Have you ever had like a grapefruit? That's what that tastes like. And I don't care who you are. Nobody actually likes grapefruit. So. No. Nobody. They, I don't think it tastes like a grapefruit. It's got the bitterness of a grapefruit. Yeah. So I, you're the only people like a... that like grapefruit are the ones that sprinkle two spoonfuls of sugar on it before they eat it. Because it's the only way you can eat it. I, I it's like, like people that are like, oh, yeah, I love coffee. And then they pour their cup of coffee and it's like half coffee, half creamer. It's like Speaking you, really, that, you don't really like coffee. I had to get up pretty early this morning. Well, I didn't have to. Um, but I got up pretty early and I was my, I got issues with my eyes. So like, I don't see very well in the mornings and went over to the Keurig, you know, pulled out one of the little K cups and we, you know, we've got an assortment of coffee and tea and whatnot. Um, grab one out of there, slap it in there. <clears throat> and and it was still dark in the kitchen, of course. Why um, turn a light on? It, it, yeah. <laughs> so I get it. And I had some, uh, caramel vanilla, creamer put in that in there and sit down and taste it i'm like whoa that is sweet and i didn't put like much at all like it was just i mean just a little dollop i made hot chocolate this morning (laughs) totally didn't need the creamer yeah um yeah that's wild crazy that's why i don't drink coffee i don't even play the game i like the idea of drinking coffee more than i like drinking oh i like a nice (laughs) black cup of coffee piping hot tom likes to make oil at camp on the stove. Yeah, he does. It's disgusting. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. Did I ever share my missed Jake turkey? Hunt? I th- I think so, but is this going to turn into a tip? No, it's just no. about well, coffee. Well, yeah, it, it could turn into a tip. Yeah, don't forget coffee on a percolator. Yeah, if you have a stove. percolator, don't leave your percolator on the stove for it's four not hours. Kinda, it's not like a warming pan for your typical coffee pot. No, so it'll keep perking. I don't know if I've told this story or not. Um, if I have told it, it's a great story, so you should feel honored. You get to listen to it again. If you haven't heard it, it I, I think it's a pretty good story. It made me laugh a lot. So 
as Frank mentioned, he doesn't drink coffee. Nick likes the idea of drinking coffee more than he actually likes drinking coffee. I, I mean, I drink it from time to time, but it usually sounds better at night than it does in the morning. I, for one, enjoy a good cup of coffee. And I use no cream, no sugar, just straight hot Let's bean cream. water. Hot bean water. <laughs> and so me and Frank, we get up to turkey hunt up at Climber. We're in the headquarters. And we're we're just new to the whole video videoing hunts yeah. scene. So I get up, have my cup of joe, and you know, I'm thinking I might have another one. Not sure yet, but I still want it to be warm. Put the percolator back on the stove. So, you know, I had spent And a, it's a wood stove. It's not like a gas stove that we can yeah. turn on and off. No, it's it's, it's always hot it's as long as burning a fire to keep the cabin warm. Yeah. And boy does it work. It sure does. So, turns out, I didn't get up as early as I thought. Didn't have time for a second cup. Me and Frank go into the woods on our turkey hunt. Forgot the coffee on the stove. (laughs) So, I had these birds figured out. I knew just what they were doing. I tell Frank, this is where we're going to want to be. We're going to be in the business. I don't even know if Frank brought his gun. I didn't. I was strictly camera. Yeah, he was working the camera. And, you know, we get set up, and there's not a lot of goblin on the roost, but there is some. And I'm yeah. like, Keep it okay, there's there's birds around. I know there's birds around. I, I think we're going to be good. And I know I've said this in previous podcasts. I don't call on the roost anymore. I just, I don't. Uh, <laughs> now, if I, <laughs> I won't do it. I, I won't do Unless it. Unless it's my bird. Thing. Moral of that is. <laughs> Unless if, they're goblin really bad. <laughs> I'll give him a little toot. <laughs> if a bird's goblin on the roost and you start calling to him, how it works in nature is that means that hen is going to come to the gobbler and that gobbler is not going to fly down until that he sees that hen underneath him. So, yeah, like I said, I don't like to call on the roost anymore. And I wait till can hear these birds fly down. I knew where they were roosting. We positioned ourselves close enough to where we could hear them fly down. So yeah. I'm like, these it was perfect. Bir- these birds are on the ground. Reading the script, as Reading they the say. script. I'm just going to give a few clucks and a few yelps just to let them know where we're at. So a few clucks, few yelps. Wasn't five minutes later, I see this bird coming down the hill right to us. I'm like, oh. Oh, buddy. buddy. So I let Frank know. I'm like, hey, bird coming. Gobbler. Camera on. Yeah, so Frank's rolling, and bird comes down just like clockwork. Gets into like 25 yards, and I line up on him, and I mean just squeeze the trigger. Boom! Gun goes off. Turkey goes flying. I look Clean. over at Frank. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what happened. And so we watch the turkey. He lands, kind of looks around, walks away. Visibly unscathed. Yeah. So walk up to where, you know, the turkey was standing, not a feather, nothing. Yeah. Total, total botch job. <laughs> so I'm like, well, there, there's more birds around. We're, we're going to try and get one fired up. So I, I call and uh, yeah, Woods, Woods were pretty, pretty quiet well, after pretty that. Pretty well shot. You know, when a shot rings off at 6:50 in the morning, yeah, it usually hunkers them down, slows them right down. Yeah, so, so. there's not much I know, but if it's the way the turkeys move around and climber, I do know that. Yeah. So Tom and I've got that to a T. Yeah. yeah, we we're figuring it out and. uh so we decide, you know what, we're going to give them some time, settle down. <laughs> we'll go back up to the cabin, take a little nap. It's not even 7 o'clock yet. So, you know, we figure, you know, come 10 o'clock, we'll, we'll start well, working some birds again. The problem is that there's, only, there's usually one flock, maybe two flocks, and they all roost along the same ridge. Yeah. So it's not like you, you blow can't— blow up one— fl- yeah, yeah, you can't move around this property and— Get on different birds. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a big piece, but there's really, the way the topography works, there's only one, one area. Spot. Well, there's just one prime spot, so all the turkeys naturally go to that great You're spot. getting away from the story. Anyway, so we decide we're going to go back up to camp, take a nap, go back out around 10 o'clock. Well, obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm upset that I missed this bird. It was a jake, so I'm like not... 
terribly upset, but like the whole thing's on camera. I think I just choked under pressure. So like I'm I'm pissed, but I'm not that pissed. And we get up to camp, and I there I see the percolator still sitting on the stove, still like, just perking, bubbling like crazy, and it's like tar at this point. Yeah. And so to punish myself, I I decided I was going to drink the rest of this coffee, <laughs> and it was like like syrup thick. It was it was gross. It was very gross, very strong. Uh, was not able to take a nap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, moral of that story is don't leave your coffee percolator on the wood stove, <laughs> and don't miss Jake's. At That's a hell of a tip. Yards. Yeah, if you're gonna miss a Jake, you gotta you, you gotta, gotta put a percolator on the stove for four hours and then drink the coffee. That's the punishment. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier said than done. I think I've I've missed one turkey in my oh, day. Oh Christ, I've missed a lot. I just I. I'm getting a lot better. I, I just get I get so excited. Like Dude. Jojo, the idiot circus boy <laughs> with a pretty new hat. I I don't get as excited shooting turkeys as I do deer. Yeah. I lose my mind on deer. Me too. Like every time everything happens so fast and I'm like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the last like five minutes of your life is a blur. Mm-hmm. You're like, I saw the buck. And now I'm here. Like I, I don't know what steps happen. But. I'm like I, every time I'm like, did I even look through my peep? Like did I did I put my mm-hmm. sight on the deer? Like what? Like it, I don't for me, it don't matter if it's a doe, a spike horn, or a for big me, eight. I have to decide I want to shoot it. Yeah. As soon as I decide I want to kill it, that it's that's like my brain's way. Yeah, you of could look at that adrenaline. deer for 20 minutes and you're like, yeah, whatever. Then you're like, you know what? I'm gonna shoot it. Then you're like, holy shit! Oh, I'm I've gonna done shoot that. it. I shot yeah. a doe up at camp one time with my rifle, and <clears throat> I saw her out at like 250 yards. Um, and I was sitting in one of the tripods, and I seen her coming through, and didn't get even a little bit excited. I was just watching her come. You know, she was working like through the cornfield, um, and then there was clover underneath the snow that she was digging at. And I watched her work it, work it, work it, you know, probably for like 25 minutes. And then all of a sudden she got like, she, for whatever reason, stopped for a really long time. And it was like a perfect shot between the corn stalks. Like I had no intentions of shooting this deer, Until... but she gave me an opportunity. And then I was like, I'm going to shoot, what? I'm going to shoot a doe right now. And <laughs> then it was just like hammered, like heart pounding. Oh yeah. The adrenaline just started kicking like crazy. Um, and actually this, I don't shit bricks on this because like right as I'm like telling myself, I'm going to shoot it. I hear like some grunting, but I, it's the way that this is like, I knew anything I can hear, I can see it's like a wide open field and I shot the doe. And then I was like, was that like a button buck? And <laughs> I like, I didn't like, I at the time wasn't thinking that like does do make, it wasn't like a grunt grunt. It was just like, yeah. a, I don't know, like a sound. Yeah. And panicked a little bit jeez Frank. Jesus, yeah i'm a little too close to the mic a tip for new podcasters don't touch your pop filter no. yeah <laughs> don't do that um but yeah it's weird for me like tom gets excited no matter like if it's a deer tom gets excited doesn't matter have to i don't even have to be like planning on shooting that's what thing. i mean like yeah. for you it doesn't I, matter if you're shooting it. it or not it sees tom's excited for me once i decide it's gonna get shot then that's it's, when it really kicks in um and I'm like a little bit of both. I get a little excited anytime I see a deer, but yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah. like I'm not like freaking out like Tom is. Oh, Tom, Tom's like yeah. shaking. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I guess I'm more like what you're describing. Yeah, like, like I'm excited I'm like, and like eh. my heart elevates a little bit. But once I'm like that's the one, then it really goes to a whole new level. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's but I remember stuff. like that spike I shot last year in muzzleloader. I like lost my mind after I mm-hmm. shot it. Like, I think I called Frank like three times trying to get service, called yeah. Tom, called like... Yeah, because we don't have good service up yeah. there. It was just wild. And then like, Tom calls me, called me back. He's like, is it a buck or a doe? I'm like, oh, it's a buck. And yeah, I, I could like see Tom running down the hill in blaze orange. <laughs> like I could see him from like 150, 200 yards away, just like coming down the hill. And I like, it was more like I watched him fold up. Like I, yeah. I knew it was a perfect shot. Yeah. And oh, it was just wild. Glorious. Which this... Which me brings to, me to, to my a, next do you point. Have, do you have another tip? <laughs> yes, I do. And this is something that has actually helped me quite a bit with my uh, excitement emotions coming into hunting deer. Is that a thing? Excitement emotions? Yeah, they're definitely Sounds a thing. weird I, the way you said it. I definitely get them deer hunting. So you're only going to want to do this tip on deer that you can legally 
shoot that you have a tag for and that it's a legal deer that you don't plan on shooting. So something I like to do is like, say I'm, I'm hunting. I, I lawfully have my doe tag. I can legally shoot a doe if, yeah. if I choose. Yeah. If I'm hunting and I'm not going to shoot a doe, yet I see a doe, I like to, you know, draw back on that deer, get comfortable with, you know, containing, those containing about. myself. Yeah. Um, like, because there's a lot going on when you're deer hunting and it's not just as simple as, okay, there's a deer, let me draw back. Yeah. You got to, you know, wait for the deer not to be looking to get behind a tree. Um, there's all kinds of stuff you got to focus on. Mm-hmm. So just like practice those situations. Yeah. I mean, I have zero intentions of shooting this deer, but you know, if something were to happen where I touch my release and I do shoot this deer. It's still legal. Still legal. But like I said, it's good to practice. Uh, same thing with a gun. Um, holding your crosshairs on that front shoulder, just practicing your slow, steady breathing, mm-hmm. um, keeping your crosshairs on the shoulder, not rushing anything. And that has definitely helped a lot. If you can go through those motions and control your breathing, control your motions, because I know, I think you were telling me when you used to hunt North Carolina, when you were <sighs> yeah, the wee little bad. kid. You same thing. Like I, I'm getting better about yeah. this, but I mean, you. you they know nicknamed exactly. me Shakes because I missed. Like, we went down there for s- several years, and like the first two years we went there, I was I think like seven, eight, and nine, and I hadn't. I shot at deer every year, but I missed because I would just get so excited that I would just be shaking like crazy. I couldn't hit a damn thing. I was a great target shooter. But as soon as you put a deer in front, I couldn't hit a goddamn thing. Like, it was bad. So that I, I definitely did. That was actually how I got over that was the guy that I was the guy that I was sitting with lied to me and said, just practice on that deer. You don't you can't shoot it, but just practice. And so I'm looking down the site. And he's like, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. He's like, okay, well, just practice with your safety off then. I was like, okay. So I practiced with safety off. Then he's like, okay, squeeze the trigger. I'm like, what? He's like, you better hurry up and squeeze the trigger before you start shaking. And I did, killed my first deer, and that like really helped me get over the hump of being that excited. And I still get that excited, but now I can control it. Yeah. I think definitely. Biggest tip I can add for, and this only works for bucks, um, but if you once you decide you're going to shoot it, quit looking at its head. Yeah, look at the uh, kill zone. Kill zone. Yeah, um, th- that helps me really calm myself down. Like, you know, a few times I've shot bucks where it was like I saw the rack and knew immediately that's a shooter. I don't have to stare at this any longer. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) uh, one of the deer I killed a couple years ago um, had, I had to, like, I knew, it was like 90% sure it was legal. Like, it was that one that I sent you the picture of it dead and you didn't believe me because it it bedded with its head up there. Um, But anyway... I really had to stare at that one and, and because I wanted to shoot it, but I was still trying to figure it out. It was like just killing me inside. Yeah. But once I was like, yes, it's definitely hundred percent legal. Then I quit looking at its head. Yeah. Focus on where I want to shoot. Mm-hmm. Well, the, my big Pope and young buck, that one, I literally, I didn't even count points on it. I saw it coming through. I saw a lot going on and I never looked at its head again and it happened fast. So I didn't have a whole lot of time, but when I shot it, I couldn't have told you if it was an 8, 10, 12. Like, I knew it had enough points, but I quit looking after that. I was like, okay, it's it's enough. It's one I want. It's huge. I'm gonna I'm shooting it, and I just started looking at his chest after that. That was what John did with his. He came back to camp. He's like, don't know what I just killed, but it is big. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it was a stud. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm about all tipped out. I mean, for, I'm trying to think, like, I know there's, I'll think of other ones. As soon as the episode. Yeah. As soon as it's, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this was more geared towards beginner beginner hunters. We don't want to overload them with, you know, scouting and sign tips. This is just for, you know, typical setup stuff. You got a personal experience one. Uh, If you do happen to drop your bottle of buck piss, (laughs) inspect it for cracks before throwing it back in your truck. Yeah, that's a good tip. Um, because 
buck piss will linger in your truck until you get rid of it. <laughs> the truck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There until is no you get rid, of the, rid of the buck piss. Yeah, thing. it is yeah. getting rid of the truck. <laughs> and uh, then it'll linger for the next guy. <laughs> yeah, and we um, – <laughs> luckily, Tom totaled it. He didn't, have, didn't go <laughs> to the next God. guy. Thank <laughs> God. Uh, anyway <laughs> – but that's personal experience. Um, my dad dropped a bottle of buck piss and not even thinking, just threw it back in the truck. There's get cracked on the side, just, just enough to seep out into the seat. And what a surprise when you got back to your stand yeah, or back from your hunt. Yeah. Wild. I think that's a good one to wrap her up on. Yeah. Make sure you label your urine bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, I guess with uh, Craig versus Wild tip of the week, um, label your urine bottles and make sure you guys are all getting outside. <laughs>